by listening to this podcast, you acknowledge that you will be hearing dirty, dirty words and whatever else we feel like saying. Whether you want to hear it or not, and there may be some fine print somewhere about being reassured, resurrected, resurrected into Satan's army, or damned. Of the damned. Of the damned. Abandon all hope. E who enter here. I actually like that one. It's like the best one I ever think of. You want to try that one again then? Um. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Spawnometer. I'm your host, Mr. Fixit, and today I have with me... Diablo Frank. And today we're going to spawn your mind all night long. Oh, yeah. With uh, Tales of Spawn issue six and seven. No, no, we're only going to do issue six. We only, only do six? one. We only do one issue of Spawn. Oh, you bastard. No, so you didn't just kick my left nut. You decided to kick my right nut as well, because that's what it was reading these two, bo- but two books. But we're just peek behind the curtain. We're going to record them both at basically the same time, but we're going to spread them out over two episodes. Oh, so so what, what we're each? doing is our pain is magnified to diminish their pain. Oh, it's great, great pain. <laughs> oh, my God. So to give you a little backstory on this one, Spawn No. 6 was released on December the 11th, 1992. It was the first image comic to release six issues, which was twice as many as its next closest competitors, Savage Dragon, Shadowhawk, and Wildcats, all of which had, had their third issue out the same month. Okay. With the exception of the Images of Tomorrow stunt, where several titles jumped ahead to their 25th issues for one month before returning to their original numbering, Spawn remains the first image comic to ever reach any given issue number going forward. So like Spawn number 100 was the first 100. Spawn number 150 was the first 150, so okay. on and so forth. And they're like in their 300s right now, or close to it, ain't they? They're getting there, yeah. They're, yeah. I think they're in the high 200s now. Okay. Jeez. And I actually, I just got the most recent Spawn trade paperback, which is a big fat beast, because it wraps up the last three or four issues of Eric Larson's run, oh. and then it segues into the Todd McFarlane, Simone, uh, the, the, uh, the guys who used to do the book. They yeah. took the book back over, but it's do, done differently. And then there's a new creative team that's taken over since then but I haven't gotten that trade yet is Eric Larson something good you read Spawn read. Saga I Did you, read, yet. I you, you still haven't read the Satan no. Saga Wars no. I loaned it to you yeah it's Spectre I just haven't read it it's really far in advance I liked Satan Saga Wars okay and I was debating I liked it just enough where I'm like do I want to continue with this or not and then I went ahead and I read one issue past that from the collection I was like yeah I kind of like where this is going and then of course they change it but the new trade was so economically priced it's something like 10 issues for the price of a regular trade so I, I couldn't pass it up. Okay, cool. I'll borrow yours and yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll read it. And I need to read mine too. I'm, I'm hoping that they maintain the quality of at least the Eric Larson stuff. Yeah. Cool. But it doesn't really matter because they're going to have a different creative team after that anyway. And just hit the reset button again? It's a course change. I don't know if it's a reset though. Okay. So let's talk about spawn number six though. So we're introduced to Overt Kill, a mafia hitman who was, I'm assuming, built by the government. Did, did they ever actually say how he got built? I don't believe so. I think so. he might have been built by the mob using like advanced science. Well, I know he shit. was a mob. He's like a mob hitman. And the reason and he's like him, old school mob too. He's like, because I think the issue starts in Sicily, doesn't it? Yeah. he's Well, yeah, he's in Sicily, the old country. But they make a big deal about his name comes from the fact that he gets overly enjoyment from killing. He goes beyond just killing him. So it's overt kill. Do you know the story of overt kill, by the way? No. Wasn't he called overkill one time? Yes, he was. 
Chaos. Because I, I swear I have the toy that says Overkill. I think in the original comics he was Overkill too. Oh, okay. And then they changed it. Well, do you, but I mean, do you know the story of his creation? No. So I have in front of me Wizard Magazine number seven, and they have an ad in here where you can win an Overkill lithograph signed by Stan Lee, Rob Liefeld, and Todd McFarlane, courtesy of New Graphics Express, Staber Home Video, and Wizard. Overkill is a creation of Stan Lee, Rob Liefeld, and Todd McFarlane. He was born during the taping over the Overkill video from Staber Home Video. I'm going to throw, and I promise you, we haven't rehearsed this. I'm going to throw a name at them, and they're going to create a character based on what I tell them, and you better make it good. Okay, now I've got this name. I've been wanting to do a movie with this title. I never thought of it as the name of a character, but it occurs to me it's the kind of name I think you guys could play with. And the name is Overkill. Now, I'm hitting you with that. He's obviously got to be the roughest, toughest, meanest hero, if you will, ever done before. So you've got about 20 minutes. Give it your best and be careful because I'm watching every move. Okay, what we'll do is we're going to try to do a collaboration. We'll be adding back and forth to it. And what we'll do is we'll try to explain our thinking on how we're coming across and why we're doing Overkill the you way it is. You can think and draw at the hey, same time. Yeah, pretty good. we've even talked. So what we'll do is Rob will start doing the outline. And because we're going to do this and put it in the comic book, I'll be working on the logo. So by the time he's got the outline, I'll be done with the logo and then we'll start going from there. The video is 100% art and shows exactly how these mega talents brought Overkill to life. Rob, are we going to make them thick or are we going to make them... Oh, the obligatory strong heroic character okay. over there, right? He's got to be a guy. He's got to be huge. Thick neck, broad thick, shoulders. Thickest neck. Are you going to give shoulders. him the usual shoulder pads? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not real sure yet. What do you think, Todd? I don't know. A Liefeld character without shoulder pads is almost naked. we got to have guns. we got to have armor. Armor. Armament. Overkill. Armor and armor. Okay. One thing okay. that, we, that I think the kids also like is uh, why don't we come in with... The kids like chains. You can win a lithograph signed by all three creators or any of these other great prizes. And then they give you all the address and the qualifications. And they give you an image of Overkill. I don't think this is the actual drawing by Rob Liefeld. I think that this is a recreation they did for the video box cover or something. Oh, uh, that's pretty close. He's but did smaller. You ever, did, did you ever watch the video? No. They've got it online on YouTube. You can check it out if you want uh, to. Definitely will, no. I definitely will. Nah, I wouldn't be in a rush. I, I watched it because have you ever watched any of those Staber videos? Mm-mm. They're okay. They're basically... Um, Is that the one where they're like interviewing them while they draw? Exactly. Oh, I've seen a couple. Yeah. I so it's not Jim Lee one. I, you know, I don't know if I've ever seen the Jim Lee one. I've, I've seen the uh, Liefeld one several times at this point, especially for the, the show, but I, even before that I'd seen that one a few times because that was the first one out the gate, if I remember correctly. And I've seen bits and pieces. I think I had the, when the, they came out with a VHS compendium that collected all of the creators, that's the one that I saw. So I've seen bits of all of them, but I haven't seen all of very many of them. Mm-hmm. I think they probably recorded the Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld one on the same day. He's going to do the character here, and while he's doing that, I think what we'll do is, just to make him cool for a poster, we'll put some gunshot wounds back into the wall here. Sounds good. Terrific. Okay, what do you right. think? Oh, should he have hair or should he be bald? I'm Make thinking him bald. bald. I'm he can be bald. pretty tough-looking bald, can't he? Yep. Oh, I think so. Yep. I, think def- I keep telling sign. that to myself as I keep losing my hair. Definite sign of baldness. And so they proceed to start creating a character. It's credited all three of them, but the truth is, Todd McFarlane, for the most part, just came up with a logo, and he added some bullshit like chains and shit to it. And it's really Rob Liefeld who draws the whole character for the most part. So it's really his creation. Oh, wow. But McFarlane is the guy who actually incorporated him in the comics first. I'm not sure how the copyright situation works out. There's obviously a lot of problematic content. 
continuity issues with relation to a whole bunch of these image characters. I mean, my theory, I think it was possibly a preemptive measure, but Marvel UK subsequently released a bi-weekly anthology of their books to the British market titled Overkill, and the Guardians of the Galaxy villain Taserface was renamed Overkill in the US to secure that trademark here. So when Image Comics wished to use the character created for the Saber video, they had to clumsily redub him Overkill, uh, interchangeably spelled both with and without a hyphen. Huh. So that's how he became Overkill, because Marvel, if you remember correctly, Marvel was being very protective of trademarks that time period. Mm-hmm. They managed to tie up a whole bunch of Defiance money by coming out with a bullshit character that nobody remembers called Plasmer, and that prevented them from coming out with a comic called Plasm. I remember that. They did that, I think, on purpose, just to fuck over Defiant and make that company tumble before it even got started. Wow. Yeah. Some, some more of that inside baseball, folks. Okay. But yeah, so for a while there, and again, I believe including on the original toys, he was overkill before they had to fix it. Yeah, I think I have, I ha- it's on my wall. Like, yeah. I put all the toys on the wall, and I think he's one on there. And see, for the longest time, I thought that it was a Marvel UK character named that, but it turned out that was Kill Power, who was a sidekick to Motormouth. But that was just me. Because okay, I remember Motormouth, because I remember I, that's when I was reading Deathhead. Yeah, I read a lot of the early Marvel UKs because yeah. I'd read Marvel UK. My brother got me into them. He brought home an issue of Dragon's Claws for me when he went to visit his grandparents in London. I started collecting from there, and I actually, Specifically, the Death's Head and the Dragon's Claw stuff. I've had runs of those at one point. Hmm, cool. So about Overkill. Okay. So he's, overkill, he's killing people in Sicily. Kill. He's killing people in Sicily, and the local mob boss is pissed because Spawn is killing off a lot of mobsters. No, remember it was the Violator that was killing him, but Spawn. Oh, that's I right, guess that's got, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think Spawn got blamed for it. That's and right. The, but Spawn gets. And fing- who who is the local mob boss? Uh, it's not Tony Twist. It absolutely, is Tony Twist. Oh, is it? Antonio Tony Twist Twistelli. Who he got sued for because it was a hockey. Yeah, player there was a hockey name. player by that same name. And I always thought that, that was like a nickname, that the guy's name wasn't really Tony Twist. He decided to just take that nickname and turn it into a character. No, that's the dude's real fucking name. Yeah, Tony Twist, yeah. And so the dude sued him for $15 million, and ultimately McFarlane settled for $5 million. God. Which is one of those things that will really eat into your empire in the early days especially. I'm sure he just drew more uh, sketches, made it all a- back. And so because of the violator killing all those mobbed up guys, Tony sent out guys to kill homeless people searching for To draw them out. Yeah, to draw yeah. out Spawn. Which Spawn does come out and more it out of them both. He kills both of the mobsters, at which point now Tony decides he needs to bring in the big gun, which I believe he says at one point, and he asks the Don in Sicily if they can borrow Overt Kill because they have a job for him down here. And I think he even has to get like the group okay on it because yeah a bunch all of, the local what, what do they call that where crime bosses yeah but they have like a name for that where they like like a consortium of mob bosses don't they have like a name uh, for that um i'm a consortium of mob bosses like okay. i don't know i mean but they even like panel by panel they show all these guys and they're, they're all like, agreeing yeah let's yeah. whack them yeah let's whack them let's whack them yeah. very fucking redundant oh yeah you know and, and did so, you any, I don't remember any of those guys ever turning up again either. No. So there's no reason to show every one of their faces panel after panel. Yeah. Well, it was a little confusing because I wasn't 100% sure because they never really state who they were. You just kind of had to put that together. I did anyway when I was reading it. Kill is sent in. So I'm trying to not get into issue seven so quickly. It's, yeah, it's, it kind of bleeds because we're already pretty much finishing issue six because that's the whole bit is that uh, overt kill sent to take care of Spawn. They, they do actually fight. They, yeah, their they first do. fight is in that issue. Is it? Yeah, the first fight's in that issue. Tony, you're not the guy who took out Tony's men. <laughs> Tell me it's somebody with some balls. 
And not some no-talent asshole. Overkill is aware of the Youngbloods, and is still at the point in Image Comics where most superheroes are just referred to as Youngblood, and Overkill hates the Youngbloods. He goes after Spawn. This is the first time we see Spawn's chains animate and act on their own. Spawn didn't do it consciously, but the chains acted to defend him against Overkill. Spawn also has a memory that he is actually a veteran cyborg fighter. Mm -hmm. That back when he was in the military, he had dealt with cyborgs, but never won as advanced as Overkill. So it shows that not only was he probably a military man, but he must have been in some pretty serious shit to have that kind of background. Though the uniform will often protect him, a spawn is not invincible. Each battle drains his strength, propelling him toward the inevitable, his final descent into hell. The spawnometer is ticking down, and rather than use his raw power against Overkill, he allows Overkill to beat him to a deathly state and leave him in that state. Spawn realizes that he's going to have to respond to this, although I don't know why. He could have just like laid low and let Overkill go back home, and that would yeah. probably been the end of it. But instead, he decides what he's going to do is take advantage of the skills that he has at his muscle memory, if not active memory. He's going to go get some guns and use guns against Overkill instead of wasting his necromantic powers. And he teleports, doesn't he? Yeah, he teleports. Well, but but then like, now we're getting into issue seven. Though. Okay, because that's yeah. a really weird teleport because it's kind of like this. Yeah, let, let, well, let's let's save that okay. for issue seven, though. So some more background. This was uh, Payback Part One. The issue was dedicated to Stan Lee, which was like a nice nod to the mm-hmm. Staver video. And also, I believe, the first time that they dedicated to a pure writer in an Image comic. Oh, hey, and what did you think of the cover, by the way? Uh, I mean, it's typical McFarlane covers. I mean, very detailed. It doesn't stand out as anything unusual. They didn't have multiple covers yet, right? He was No, uh, thankfully. I'm a, I'm a, I really hate that whole thing. You know, with the multiple covers. I, I thought it was an okay cover just because when you tell me picture overkill, that's usually the thing that I remember mm-hmm. is, oh, yeah, that's the one with overkill on it. And the spawn covers really run together after a while. Yeah. They just all kind of become of a piece. So at least by having overkill on the cover, you know, oh, this is the one with overkill in it. I think the one thing that stood out of my mind is there's a spot where spawn lands on the ground where he jumps. He's in the shadow. And I swear to God, it looks like Spider-Man with a cape. Mm. He's doing the whole Spider-Man like the crouch. Crouch. Yeah. yeah. And I just that. And it, there's still a lot of cheats in both of the issues six and seven where all of a sudden like half everything or all of everything's on a silhouette mm-hmm. it works fine because he puts the detail in other areas so I guess it's okay for now, him to cheat it's not egregious enough to where I need to call it out in depth but it, it's like I, I see what you're doing there Mike Paul, like, no. so wait a minute he drew it he wrote it did he color it? no did No. Steve Olaf was coloring did the Spawn comic it? Tom Orzakowski was lettering it well no you already franked me twice so I'm done I'm good so what do you think of Overkill's design and what do you think of him as a character in general? I always for some reason when I think of him I always picture the large like that same one holding a and this is going to kind of date me a little bit where you pay for parking uh, meet, the meter, uh, the parking coin, meter yeah, yeah the parking meter why does that date you they have parking meters still do they yeah they still have parking meters all over Houston no but not coin operated ones they take that, bills now yeah no the new ones no they, 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 yeah it's not the kind where you actually have to turn it slack. yeah it's not no, a I'm crank, talking like, like the old school ones yeah. that they have the coin those you don't see those anymore where they True. have the little and I well I saw one with Six Flags they're a little fake town like they have yeah. the fake Gotham oh that's a fake town dude right they actually have a Batman parking meter there that you can put change into and it goes to charity okay but see and you crank it and it expires over time and shit but so see, those, still, so those functions i mean that's a cool that's a cool idea actually yeah. that's a really cool concept for donations but i still picture that toy artwork that i saw where he's holding one of those as a weapon with concrete on the end of it ready to fight that's the only image i ever come up with that was 
was that the first one? Because they did two overkills for the spawn toy line, right? Yeah, they did several. Actually, there's one where his head popped. There's the very, very basic one, which I have. I have the first line of all the toys. Yeah. And again, at that time, it was the thing to buy. You know, everybody wanted the toys. And so I found them. So I went ahead and put them up on my wall. Just kind of a nice little nod to the toys. The second one was the more detailed. He had the spinning some kind of claw. It was more. Really fucking big and heavy. Yeah, that one was like, I wouldn't even say more anime influence type toy. More exaggerated for sure. Yeah, this one, these, you gotta remember, those first runs are very basic toys. They were very. They were still far in advance of any toys that that were out there, but those were. And he was part of the very first line, wasn't he? I believe so, yeah. 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 There was Spawn, Violator. Shit, I can't remember them all. But I just remember that, for some reason, that image always sticks in my head when I think of him. That and every time they show them, he's either missing an arm or he's like half destroyed every time. Yeah, he's definitely he part of that back. cliche. I don't like Overkill. He's not that kind of character that I tend to like. He's kind of like the Image Comics juggernaut to some degree. But I know that he's a distinctive Spawn villain and a distinctive Image Universe villain. I don't confuse him with anybody else. If I see this big bald guy in that bluish tone, like metallic costume and shit, I know, oh, that's Overkill. Yeah. And they I him a few times over the years, but he's still, oh yeah, that's a word kill. So I, I can't say that I'm a fan, and it's obviously a stupid name by necessity, mm-hmm. thanks to Marvel's cock blocking, but he's okay. I like that there's still so, at least back then, you had image universe characters, and Overkill was kind of part of a, a, this greater universe. He doesn't necessarily belong entirely to any one creator, although yeah. obviously he favors the McFarlane stuff. Yeah, I can see that. But I don't think the designs are that great. They, oh, it's very, I, co- it's very basic, yeah, dude. And, and, a fucking 10 year old could have came up with yeah. that. I mean, and I will say the that look. the design improved from the original. Saber video to him being used by McFarlane, but the only thing that was wrong with Overkill in the original design was really McFarlane's fault. He did this stupid boot thing where he put like this peacock thing on his boot, and mm-hmm. you know I don't see the chains being necessary, especially since you've got Spawn running around. That's kind of his thing, but he's okay. I don't I don't hate him. Well, okay, so let's be honest. Chains from McFarlane are like Layfield's pockets. Yes, it very much is. That's that's McFarlane's like sh- pockets. It's either webbing pouches, or chains. Yeah. yeah. So that so that I, I not, not even not even so much web, the chains are. So a McFarlane gimmick, yeah. It's his. It's yeah. it, it's, it's kind of a staple, and he stole it from Ghost Rider, so that's kind of sad too. It's a secondhand gimmick. So um, I mean, besides that, I mean, the issue was. The writing is, you're making me read his old books again, and man, I didn't realize how bad the writing was. I can't say that too much because I'm sure if a young kid reads that, it's great to him. That's perfect. I got a lot of miles under my belt of a lot of books I've read, and that will influence anything new I read. So if I read something that I probably enjoyed back then, now it doesn't hold up very well because, you know, I, I'm looking for these little nuances in the writing type or the character development or just something that's going to catch my attention. Where that shit was just like fucking just real basic I'm not hating on it because I'm sure I enjoyed it at a young age and I'm sure if I gave those to a 15 year old he'd be like these are fucking badass but as an adult I, I just can't see an adult like saying this is great writing I think that it's very much the kind of comic that you wanted to read when you were 8 and an adult did not want you to have when you were 8 Yeah, but that really does feel like somewhat the target demo 8 to 12 I would say at the time that comic came out that was among the two issues that convinced me that I was not going to continue to buy Spawn after the writer's series oh, really? and I only bought six and seven because I knew I was going to get the writer series and there was this hump I had to get over but by the time I got done with this arc I was like okay I'm not coming back after this is over with yeah. so it wasn't terrible to reread it again but it's not something I would read today obviously so uh, I, it was terrible for me man it was a absolute chore because I've already read better spawn stories written by amazing storytellers like Alan Moore not the Larson stuff but I'm pretty sure Larson stuff's going to be good I'm trying to think who else just other stuff that they took the character in a direction 
action that felt like good for that character. Where I don't know, man. It's, I, and I can't, I can't hate on. He's he's barely learning his writing craft. I haven't. Uh, read- no, that's bullshit. He'd already written a year and a half of Spider Man, oh, so he's not like a new writer. I think he's learning how to work without an editor, though. I think that he probably had a lot of help when he was doing Spider Man from his editors, and may not have realized or appreciated how, how much help he was getting until he had to do it completely on his own. And I think that Spawn One Through Four is better than I remembered it. Where issues six through seven are about as bad as I remember them being. The story itself feels like he's filling time until the writer series his own self. Yeah, I'm doing that as a reader, but he feels like he's doing it as a writer too. It's like I'll just throw out this Tobro kill Tobro. Oh yeah, the story has like no ramification whatsoever. It's it's I just throwaway character. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an absolute just throwaway story. I mean, Overt Kill could have made a guest appearance in an issue, and you would have known who he is, and then used him in a real story because this story does feel like absolutely like a throwaway story. I don't ever have to read it again, and I never will. Unless I force you to. For a oh no, we're done, dude. I'm never going back. Well, no, when we do the Only video four. version, when we do the vi- vlog, when we move on to the vlog, we'll, we'll, have to we'll see about that. So, that it or yeah, that's it for that one. That's for Mac. <laughs> now I want to talk a little bit about Wildcats, covert action teams. They're all depicted here, about eight alien beings, sort of some are half alien, against the evil shape-shifting aliens who are trying to just you know, take over the world. notes on Wildcats. Well, I have a few, very few notes. Well, it's okay. We could literally watch the cartoon and it'll explain the entire fucking comic book series. Actually, I forgot when I was reading this stuff about Wetworks... I totally forgot about Wetworks. Wasn't there another we'll, group? We'll get there. But we'll wasn't there. there another group of like... Stormwatch? No. Wasn't there another group like... Because Wetworks kills like vampires and werewolves and shit like that, if I remember correctly. Operation Nightstrike? There's Gene 13. Team 1? Team 7? Team 7. Well, no, that's all the original daddies and shit like that. Got the psychic powers, I guess. Never mind. Okay. Quick look at the Image Comics timeline. Spawn number 2 was released on July 3rd, 1992. Was the first Image Comic to ship a second issue one month after the first. Compare that to Young Blood number two, which was released on the same day and tied for the first second issue of an image comic, but came out nearly three months after Young Blood number one. Thus, it receives the dubious distinction of being the first extremely late successive issue of an image comic. But the following month marked another major launch Wildcats. Covert action teams were won on August 7th, 1992. It was the fourth new image title and sixth individual image comic released. I want to read some material from Wizard number nine, which was a very important book for me because that's when the full image revolution began in earnest because well I think that the actual story had been broken perhaps earlier probably from like comic buyer's guide or something wizard was still like the place for fandom even at that point or was becoming the place where yeah. fandom gathered to learn comic news and this was where the image creators actually all got together and gave their information on each of their titles and I wanted to read you some stuff that Jim Lee had offered okay. in that interview howdy true believers 
This is Jim Lee here. I'm not normally like this, I've just been hanging around Stan Lee too much. Basically, we're here in the Homage Studios, and I'm going to talk about my new book coming out called Wildcats, Covert Action Team. It debuts in late July, early August. Hopefully, I'll get it done in time. I'll show you some of the characters I've got cooking. So Lee writes, I'm going to be working with a friend of mine who has been helping me out with some stories. His name is Brandon Choi. He works with me on the X-Men stuff, and I've known him since the fourth grade. My book had to be tailored to the things Rob is establishing. It does make things a little difficult. I'm doing a book called Wildcats, and basically since Rob was starting this Youngblood thing to do something different, I'm going to say they are covert, purely covert, even though part of Youngblood is. What if a company existed that was a multinational conglomerate with billions of dollars? They're not going to stop at bribing politicians to exist world influence. So what if they hired superpowered people to act as their agents abroad? And what if you had a cabal, a number of corporations around the world who were doing this and then setting their teams against each other to further their company's ultimate agenda? I haven't figured out the name of this company. Maybe Image? The leader of this company is Imp. He's this real diminutive, cocky leader who's not the greatest role model for the Wildcats. To say any more would be ruining future issues. He's always got a tie and a suit. His hair is always slicked back. Dark hair on the sides. Got triangular eyebrows. Small triangular nose, kind of smirk, cigar, because he's the uh, CEO of a company. Mischievous eyes with a little gleam in them. There you have it. I mean, I rendered the heck out of this thing and uh, put a lot more lines and rendering and black and everything. But uh, essentially, this makes up M. This is the shorthand to this character, and this is how you recognize this character as being M. It goes a lot deeper than that, and there is an ultimate plan being enacted here, not just mindless scuffles over turf and other resources. I see each book as a chapter in a novel, but being able to stand on its own. Essentially, they're led by this character here, Emp, and uh, he's not upside down. He's just uh, he's just kind of uh, sleeping off a, b- a bad uh, hangover in an alleyway. Anyway, he's, he, he, I don't get too much into the character, but he starts out as kind of uh, wandering kind of wino homeless person who's basically discovered by a sort of cosmic lady in the lake character called Void who uh, basically puts a quest on his shoulders to uh, lead a superpowered being called the Wildcats. He sort of has this cosmic being who is his counselor and her name is Void. And Void essentially is an oval head, two eyes, nose, lips, and then you know, she's got the funky costume, thin, thinner neck. Then you put all this kind of line work to make the uh, costume all shimmery, makes her look more cosmic. And I put a little shine here. This is essentially the character. Now let's go through the characters a little bit. You know, you met M and Void already. The covert action team is called Strafe, which is made up of Spartan, Morph, Zealot, the Grifter, and a guy named Hadrian. He's going to have a code name soon, since everyone hates his name. They are all endowed with different powers, and they are going to be introduced in a three-part miniseries. I'll be coming back in January of 93 with a regular series, assuming the miniseries, which will be coming out in July, August, and September, goes well. I'm going to be taking some time off, since I have a baby coming in July. Wildcats will be the only book I'll be doing starting in January. Sylvester starts talking about how he has a fast character in his book Cyber Force and Jim Lee's like I have a fast character and as I recall there weren't any fast wildcats and maybe that changed well yeah because all you had is Velocity and I think she, yeah she was part of uh, what works so then they started talking about a staggered release schedule uh, with Lee saying that the rationale behind all of this is to come out with products slowly over the course of the year with high quality to ensure that we have enough exposure in the marketplace and so we don't crowd each other out they didn't really have a problem with that in that first year or so and when people started to say whether or not they could get out a book on monthly spaces Jim Lee pointed out I've been doing it for five years <laughs> 
<laughs> Throw that shade. Well, what's funny is I remember him missing time even when he was on X-Men. Because remember, like, he bowed out for, like, half the Extinction Agenda and kept having fill-in guys. Thinner, the thinner Mirror Island saga, he had fill-ins come yeah, in for him. That. Trying to say how Image is going to thrive where a lot of other creators who had tried to do something like Image in the past hadn't quite pulled it off. Lee pointed out that we have to take our shot now as opposed to 15 years from now when we're bitter old men. You have to do it in your prime. The thing is, the opportunity to create and draw and write or tell stories with characters you own outright appeals to me because it brings me back to a time when I was a kid in grade school and high school when I drew my own characters. If I drew the Avengers, it was because my team was pummeling them. And I never had that feeling when I was creating stuff for Marvel because it always had to fit in the Marvel Universe. They have certain rules about what can be done and what can't be done. Once you've created a character, another guy can use in his book and do things with it. Creating stuff for the image line has brought me back to the time when I was a kid when I could create on the fly. That's cool. There's a villain and this is their hideout and this is their code word, whatever I want. For me, I wish I could do both X-Men and Wildcats in that I feel a certain loyalty to the fans who have supported me in my career and who have supported the X-Men. But the simple fact is, like Todd, I would rather do one good book than try to hack out two books and get them out on time. So what it comes down to is if Wildcats works out well, that's the book I'm doing. And selling to DC with all the properties. We're not flooding the market with 50 new books and we're not using any guy we can find on the street to draw stuff. Getting back to your question about what makes this product different from anything else, I would hope that the quality would be better. But not only that, it's a virgin universe. It's not something that you have to read years and years of to understand. There should be a sense that you're jumping in at the very beginning, the ground floor. And because we're not going to be just inundating the market with more and more books, it's the kind of development that will be done carefully and slowly with all of the creator's approval. I can't just do things with Spawn without Todd okaying it. And hopefully with that, we'll be able to keep the characters in line with the creator's own personal vision of what the character is like. And hopefully that will carry through the universe as it continues to grow. It won't be diluted. He seems so young and naive. Yeah, he reiterates, I've been working on a monthly book for five years now. This isn't going to be a problem. But I love the fact that he's like, oh, you know, we're creating these new characters. And I'm sitting there I'm like, um, all your characters are pretty much based off of like established characters, just different looks. Oh, and uh, Lead also talks about where else they might have taken Image to. Epic is one of the ones we considered. We talked to Kamiko, Tundra, all these guys, almost every publisher out there. We chose Malibu because they have an aggressive sales force. They want this almost as much as we do. And it worked out extremely well, I think. I don't know that any other publisher could have done the job that Malibu ended up doing with Image Comics. It just seemed like they were the exact right guys to launch Image. What happened to Malibu afterwards? Since its inception in 1986, Malibu Comics has shot into the comic book industry's top five with super-selling titles like Ex-Mutants and Protectors. And according to Malibu's editor-in-chief, Chris Holm, future growth opportunities are limitless. Malibu has several new projects slated for 93. One that's still top secret goes by the cryptic title Ultraverse. Okay. And that worked out pretty well for them as well. And then they sold out to Marvel. And now they cease to exist. And now people think that Topaz from Thor Ragnarok is supposed to be the character from the Ultraverse. Yeah, like, that's yeah. going to happen. Sure, whatever. There's all kinds of fucked up rides issue with the Ultraverse. Marvel basically bought them to shut them down so they wouldn't have the competition. <laughs> so after all that preamble, all those intentions of Jim Lee, it's funny to hear that concept of these corporate superheroes being pitted against one another. We really did not see that in the actual Wildcats book. No. Well, he was talking about their scene more interesting yeah but like, that's the like problem these, with a lot all, of this all these stuff. corporations having like gladiators battling for them and their you know resources that would be actually kind of a neat take that would have been different but what actually happened in the original wildcats miniseries which 
did not actually end up being three issues. My understanding, it was it was heavily delayed, just like all the other Image stuff. I think it ended up taking the better part of a year for four issues to come out, if not more. He had his baby sometime between issues two and three, as I recall. And his intention had always been, according to him, to have the third issue be a double-sized finale. But instead, they split it into a third and fourth issue, and they became a four-issue miniseries, which is still closer to what he projected than some of the other Image books ended yeah. up being. So then where did Zero fall in that? Because Zero... A Zero came out when they collected the miniseries into trade paperback. They shrink wrapped it with the Zero standalone issue that could be read. Yeah, because Zero yeah. felt almost like a recap. It was a recap. Well, the, in rereading the miniseries for this podcast, I remember reading Wildcats number Zero, because I, I, if I remember correctly, I got the trade, but I didn't get it when it came out. It had it a few years later. And I remember looking at Zero, which had art by Brett Booth and probably one of the first mm. things he ever did. And I was like, this is shit. This is boring. I don't know why this even exists. This is so lame. But in rereading it, it's like, wow, this really does a decent job of filling in exactly who the fuck these people are and what they're trying to do because I remember reading the original miniseries month to month and or let's face it months to months I didn't fully understand what the fuck was going on in those issues especially because there would be such big gaps between them I'd kind of get lost in what the hell the actual story being told was Mm -hmm. and and then there were a lot of like key details about who these characters were and how they relate to each other that wasn't conveyed well until the zero issue contextualized them so it it almost seemed like a little fixer up uh, to help you understand the trade paperback better if you were coming into the book cold huh I did not know that it's weird to hear his idea where he was going to take it because that actually sounds cool again yeah that, that instead, sounds very interesting we have alien races that are on earth or our heroes are half breeds of those races and this is the funny thing so that Brandon Cho which was a friend of his Choi Choi could not stand his writing and I came to realize now a lot of shit that I never liked he wrote if I saw his name as a writer I just wouldn't even touch it because I just never liked and, I, and now I realize why I never liked Wildcats I really didn't get into Wildcats well until... yeah, that's not true it's not that you never liked Wildcats it's you didn't like them at first you liked the Wildcats eventually I liked Robinson's run mm-hmm. Moore's run now that's when I was like oh this Wildcats and Joe Casey's and Joe Casey's I never liked anything before their run James Robinson his lead up to Moore was fantastic this schlop that we're going through now even the artwork wasn't that great I was shocked I was looking at it I, I, I would dispute that but we're going to go into think, more detail don't, but, nah. but don't, don't go into the critique tell us the story what actually happens in the first miniseries you're introduced to Lord Imp he's a homeless man Void finds him and tells him he's going to be a great he's a little man. person by the way I don't yeah. know they, I mean he's called Imp but it's spelled EMP I always think of uh, Tyrion that's an interesting thing okay, Tyrion really? you know that George R.R. R. Martin is a comic book fan yeah and if I remember correctly I, I didn't do uh, any heavy research for this because I figure we can always do that in later editions of the covering Wildcats we'll cover them for quite a while because they're key to image comics a lot of image comics stuff. I think that Jim Lee actually worked on the George R.R. R. Martin comics at Epic like Wild Cards mm-hmm. where which was him doing his version of X-Men basically like people born with mutant powers and shit if I remember correctly I, I never read the stuff myself but I think that's where one of the first projects Jim Lee did so I'm pretty sure Martin was a Jim Lee fan and probably followed his stuff and Lord Imp is kind of Tyrion yeah no that's what I'm saying like really it, it, and he predates it, Tyrion he drinks yeah, he's a heavy he drinker he's a big fucker yeah. he's charismatic he's, he's an asshole he's an asshole he's like, he's like I drink he, and I know things he's also a schemer he's a clever guy yeah yeah but he he's a guy who's and he got knows like, kind of, that's like that big saying for him yeah. and I remember when I was reading it I was hands, thinking, he's a really handsome dude too reminds yeah. me a lot of Dinklage and so I read 
that, and I was thinking, I immediately thought Tyrion. Like, yeah, well, he's even called Lord Emp. Yeah, so he's found by Void. She saves. And, him and from, you, well, what is Void? Void is she was part of a Russian cosmonaut crew in space who were bombarded by radioactive rays. Something cosmic rays. Yeah, I, don't like I, I, got a, I got the Fantastic Four feel. They crash back and in has, the Arctic. She has silver armor over most of her body, right? Well, no, I, that is her. Okay, so she is the silver yeah, liquid she metal. Is, yeah, because I remember human form. I, I remember there's this. Great, she's got, she's got the face is flesh tone, right? Yeah, the but there's like there's silver. a great issue one time where she actually removes it and turns out that's just a mask. Void is a void. There is nothing there. She creates the outer shell to have a feminine body, but she puts on a mask, that human mask. That's why she doesn't have pupils, so people can kind of like, oh, okay, she's normal, she's human, but she that's just a mask. That's which we find out later. Which is a like way kind of to make them relate to her. In a yeah, way that so that that's kind of. Her. But she's basically a teleporter. Mm-hmm. You know, she can teleport the team. She is like precognitive. Yeah, abilities. she could see the future and kind of tell them stuff. And she rescues him from two guys who are going to murder him, him for, for no, no reason. reason. I don't know if he uses Void to amass a fortune. No, no, no. He... She tells him he's going to accomplish great things. So I'm pretty sure she gave him tips. Like, Yeah, oh. so I think that she told him future stock options. Well, not and... just that, but she helps him build a massive corporation. Multi-billion dollar. Yeah, Halo. Yeah. And it's out of like five years time, if I remember correctly. Lord Imp is actually doing a Batman thing where he's funding a team of heroes but it turns out there's this big war between two alien races that have crashed on earth the caribou or caribim and daemonites yeah and the reason why i know it's daemonites is because they made a cartoon and that's how they pronounced it on that show let's break it down it's angels versus demons yeah basically pretty much angel aliens versus demon aliens and so the angels have little human babies with humans yeah half breeds half breeds well both the angels and the demons have half breeds do the demons yeah i thought they just embodied humans well if the caribim are humanoid uh, generally they're white people with model perfect bodies and they're the good guys the bad guys are brown craggy looking aliens like yeah reptilian looking Uh, creatures yeah they kind of look like a cross between the dire wraiths from rom and the brood from the x yes i I agree with that they are shapeshifters to some degree although i'm not sure how pronounced their abilities are the main thing they do is they can possess the bodies of human beings to act as their agents yes and they also i don't think they have like power powers they're just like strong and savage and they They can can morph the bodies they're in to what degree do they have shapeshifting because that's one thing that confused me in rereading the miniseries i don't remember if they're shapeshifters in, I don't think at all or if they just possess human beings. No, I don't think they're shaped straight. I think they just possess human beings. Okay. And so there are certain people who have special powers even amongst them that these two groups are trying to get a hold of. More so the Caribbean. The Daemonites are more like generic well, Indian no, race. No, because Voodoo turns out to be half... Voodoo is half Daemonite. Yeah, yeah half but, human, she, well, but, but she has... Yeah. The power of sight. Well, let's hold on. Before we get too much into it, let's break down the members of what they apparently was going to be called Strafe at one point yeah. and became just the Wildcats. Because I think the intention based on the interview that he gave was that the Wildcats was going to be the name for all the different covert action teams that were working for corporations. And then each one would and have I, their own name. Yeah, and I guess as it evolved, the team that was going to be Halo, Strafe, just became the Wildcats. When used in the context of the miniseries, Wildcats is just like a generic name for any of these covert action teams that work for corporations. Anyway, the team that Jacob Marlowe is his human name. Spoiler, Lord Imp is a Caribum, a full-blood Caribum. His team is Hadrian, codenamed Spartan. This is Spartan. He's a bioengineer leader. 
sort of combat leader of the team. And he is an android, an artificial human form, mm-hmm. who is in a red, white, and blue costume, and he looks like your typical patriotic type hero. He kind of looks like a Captain America yeah, type, say, yeah. but he's actually an android, so he's maybe more like the Vision in that respect. This is Warblade, a Korean character that's able to elongate his fingers and other parts of his body, and he's a mean sucker. Yes. Warblade is your Terminator 2 liquid knife guy. While also simultaneously being their Wolverine, because yeah. even though he can form any kind with of a shape green with ponytail. His, yeah, with a long green ponytail that he ripped off of Gideon from New Mutants. Um, and so, yeah, he's your your typical claw guy. Yeah, like, he's just he's angry and he's slashy. Yeah, and that's they, like his entire characterization. This big guy with the M on his head is Maul. He's the big brawny guy of the group. Maul, who's your giant man slash Hulk slash thing. More Hulk, I would say. I would say more. He's, he's a, I would he's say a more scientist. Yeah, he's a scientist who grow who turns into a purple creature that can change size. But the and bigger mass, he gets, yeah. the dumber he gets. Because what ends up happening in almost all the stories is that he gets too big Go and he stupid. goes on a rampage and yeah. they have to do something about him. Fun guy is Maul. You want to accentuate or increase the space between his nose and his lips and then keep the space between his eyes and his nose small. Put an M on his head, give him a little pea brain, kind of a big jowl, hunchback, put his costume lines in, and uh, he actually can have his teeth showing if he's angry. There he can be happier, put the smirk in there. He doesn't know he's happy yet, but there he is. Uh, next you have well, well there's not really next that's Jacob Marlowe's team that's the team that he puts together what about Grifter and uh... they're separate at that point oh okay For... so, but who are Grifter and Zealot um... Zealot basically your female Conan the Barbarian take no prisoners type and the mystery man over here is the Grifter well Zealot is part of what like some kind of sisterhood Code of Sisterhood a short version she's an Amazon she's yeah. an Amazon from the Miscara yeah sure. like if, if the entire album were made up of like Electras and Psylocke's that's what she would be she's sure. in a red costume with short white hair zealot who is essentially void with hair and tattoos makes my life simpler a little broader cheekbones here and then Grifter's, I guess, what, a... Uh... Punisher combined with Gambit. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. He's like a cool, you know, smart-ass guy no, I... uh, who jumps around a lot, uh, very, like, acrobatic, but he also runs around shooting guns and has combat boots. And has a really cool mask. He, yeah, he has, like, Cobra Commander's second mask, was the one where he basically has a rag wrapped yeah. over his face. Yeah. But a cool rag. Yeah. Anyway, last guy is the Grifter. Very simple. Big sprout of hair coming out. Triangular shape. One ear. Two eyes. Black talon shapes around his eyes, a couple of wrinkles, an overcoat, black tunic, and voila, a grifter. I always thought that was kind of a cool mask. I'd never seen a mask Everybody's like that Everybody's favorite character was Grifter when the thing yeah. first came out, because he looked like the cool badass. And he and, had the trench coat, the green trench coat. And then, of course, then we're introduced to Voodoo. Voodoo, the new age character of the group. It takes a little time. She's introduced in the first issue, but it takes a little time with that. Because basically, there's a, another little person who's also an alien, who's named Troll, is it? Is that the guy's name? Who's a, who's like, he's a broker of information. And he works with a team called the Cadre, which is No, like, no, no, you're thinking of Gnome. Gnome, Gnome, there you okay, yeah, no, yeah. Troll so is Gnome, that little Wolverine ripoff that's like... Right, right, yeah. right. So Gnome is this little person who, who's an information broker, and he works with a team of mercenaries called the Cadre. Which no, the is, Troika. Was it tro- the Troika? It's some triad, wasn't it? Triad? Maybe yeah. it was a triad. Because you have and they're, Slag, they're, who's a big Rocky monster, Bolton guy. The Lava Monster, the robot guy. Cyborgy and, dude yeah, or whatever. And then some humanoid guy. I don't even remember that. I know there's three of them, but I don't even remember what the other guy was. He looked from like Weapon X. He had the yeah. whole Weapon X look. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, so. And so they tell him that there's a being out there that can see the demonites and can, it can basically reveal them to you. And so three factions, the Halo team, okay. Rifter and Zealot, well, actually multiple factions, the Triad and the demonites are all trying to get this one person who has the sight who can out yeah. the demonites, demonites. And so. And where is this person located? Strip bar. In Washington, D.C. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Like, well, they, they never specifically say it's a strip club. She's just an exotic uh, dancer. With an bar. elaborate costume. That's a titty bar. Right? I, I, I think, I think bar, later on they make it pretty explicit that she was uh, an erotic exotic well no, they, well, no, later on they did play up the fact that she was in strip joints. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, during the Alan Mormon series, yeah. if I remember correctly. So, well, anytime Michael has, Lopez is drawing anything, they all look like strippers anyway. But no, it was very explicit. <laughs> she has the ability to, I guess, manipulate those around her. And that's why... I, they're kind of vague about her powers. Because she's obviously the Jean Grey of the group. Yeah, she has psychic powers. She can see the Daemonites. She can force the demonites to she can, she can she can exercise them basically yeah. she can force them out of a human host i think she has like some mild telepathy as well she can kind of read some thoughts to some degree well, no, cause or emotion maybe she's like an impotent well, no, no, thing. she controls maul when he freaks the fuck out she's the one that shuts so she, down. She, she's still like an impotent she can yeah. kind of manipulate emotions to some yeah. degree or manipulate the guy yeah it's getting kind of dark yeah very much like that yeah Everybody converges on the club at the same time. Yes. And they're all battling. And it turns out that the Demonites are led by Hellspot? Hellspot? Yeah, Hellspot is the guy's name, yeah. Which, Hellspot did have one cool line that when I read, I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. And he's talking about how the last time he dealt with humans, he only had to give them 30 pieces of silver to betray his master. And I'm like, oh, there's a Jesus Rifter. That's nice. I, I thought that was kind of a, he's the one to pay Judas. If I read that correctly. I, I think it's a little bit of a punk move to call him Hellspot. When you know that there's a character who's spawned the hell spawn being created oh, no, by no. another one of your guys. Wait a minute. You're talking about they have a character named Pike who looks exactly like Deadpool. Yeah, he was totally a Deadpool I mean, wannabe. He's just a chunky Deadpool. That's it. He's well, beefy, not chunky. He's, oh, okay. He's, yeah, I'm sorry. Beefy. Yeah, beefy. And, and he's black. Is it? Because yeah, he's got exposed arms and you can oh, see he's, he's, he's black. Yeah. I or at least dark brown, we'll say. But I, I, I just, say, I saw Pike and I was like, I remember for a split second, I was like, what is Deadpool doing in here? And then I realized, oh, no, wait. These guys probably took some of their their looks with them. So, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and borrowed from one another as well. And he's a guy, Pike uh, suffocates a guy in spaghetti. He actually, like, forced the guy's oh, yeah, face in spaghetti well, and manages to well, suffocate him in spaghetti. Kind of, that, that, I thought it was where, so, well, he was human, right? The guy that they drowned in the spaghetti? I believe so, yeah. I think he was, because, or he was just working with the Damonites. Yeah, because he was talking shit and they're like, well, it's always good to get, he's saying, are you pretty hungry there because it's always good to feed a man his last meal and then he drowns him in spaghetti so i was like uh. yeah and then there's that coda chick who's dressed in purple and she runs around with the spear thing i don't yeah. remember her name I, I don't remember her name either but she 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 hates zealot and yeah she's like well, her i guess they're from the same island yeah well they're, they're all coda so they're all from a sisterhood from an island of amazon type chicks yeah okay so hellspot's gonna turn on some kind of device of all the things that reminded me of it kept reminding me of fucking howard the duck i am now one of the duck Overlords of the universe. Tonight, the laser beam be at the nexus of Sonicus. It lies beyond the planets. It is a region of demons. Mm. To which we mm. dark overlords were exiled eons ago. Tonight, the laser beam released me from that region of demons and pulled me down into that lab. During the explosion, I... Entered Shedding's body. It is time now. The code key 
It will activate the laser spectroscope when I use it tonight to bring down the other dark overlord. And so he's shooting a beam into space that's calling down these dark weird, overlords. these dark brown, the dark overlords of the universe. And they're all like half scorpion, all like brown with the multiple arms and shit. And literally it's like a pink beam through outer space and they're all running towards the earth. Like they're actually physically running through a tunnel like the fucking rainbow bridge and shit. Yeah. And they, they do like the same thing in Wildcats. It's like, is Wildcats riffing on Howard the fucking duck of all things? And it's called like the convergence or something or the covenant or some shit like that is that the unity we just watched I was about say, did, did we just watch a yeah. movie on this shit so Hellspont is trying to call that down the Daemonites from their home planet to come help him invade Earth after being well, because something because happened. that's the big that's the big thing too we didn't touch on is the Cherubim and the Daemonites have been actually stranded on Earth for millennia yeah like their ships crashed here but and no that's but why something they happened lives. where it let the Daemonites know that they can now do this they were basically it was a cold war between the two groups no one group could ever dominate the other and then something happened where now all of a sudden they can call down the rest of the army and just destroy the Earth and they never really say what it was that that little balance and power change like they didn't bring it up yeah it didn't matter uh, it's all a uh, MacGuffin to get people to fight each other but they're trying to start this fucking world engine thing and Gnome and his crew turned out to be sabotaging it oh you know what it was the orb remember that yeah. the orb well, no, of power they were trying to get that Boyd, orb but then it has all the Boyd, superpowers yeah. Boyd says she has a dream where she's killed by the orb when she's killed the team fails yeah, and the I think it dies. turns out it's not even it's not just a dream it's actually a version of reality where that actually happened and she shoots the memory or she shoots her physical self backwards in time to change things to make sure that they don't all die in an explosion at that strip club in Washington, D.C. You probably just wrote the story better than I read, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Cause... It was very confusing at the time. And also a big thing, too, is they introduced the character of Lynch in this story. Oh, yeah. And in he's I.O. or... International Operations, yeah. a, a black ops organization. He's the Nick Fury to their shield. But True. it's more of a dark Nick Fury in the 70s when he was kind of a shady motherfucker. And it just so happens that instead of looking like David Hasselhoff, he looks more like Clint Eastwood in, back in the 70s. Okay. He's got big old lamb chops and he's skinny but really angular and intense he's looking. He's part of Team he's 7. Fun, and he's got a cable scar. He's got oh, like yeah. a star scar. One of his, his eyes eye. is out too, right? Yeah, just... exactly. Yeah. He actually, his scar looks like uh, Sam Jackson's from Ultimates. Okay. I think maybe they were kind of ripping off of that with Lynch. It's almost like a, a reverse callback because Lynch was obviously images Nick Fury, and so when they had Nick Fury, but then Fury had, well, Fury was missing just an eye, no scar. Yeah, he just had the eye patch. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, he didn't even have the eye really out. I think it just for some I don't know why he wore the patch because I don't think he actually had any physical trauma to the eye. But when they did the Sam Jackson version for Ultimates, that's when they gave him the big scar that looks like Lynch. Okay, Io is the one who actually brands the team Wildcats, and again, it seemed like it was going to be a generic title for all the different covert action teams that didn't actually come into being, so it just became the name of this one team and he's the one who's at the very beginning of the first issue observing the deaths of this group within the strip club and you know that they've changed the timeline when he's observing them still being alive and they turn up in the IO helicarrier whatever the fuck they're based in mm-hmm. after getting into a fight with IO's black razors and at a matter of portent later on that's when Lord Imp shoots one of the guys in the knee and kneecaps a black razor because that guy's going to come back later on that's, oh, yeah, that's, you know, right, that's yeah. right that's right they're battling over this damn machine the org, and Gnome gets it and he blast void with it and that was a lot later because you're skipping like Hellspawn no, got it and that's when he calls down all the Daemonites no 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 they, they start they, the machine but the machine gets well no 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 because you gotta remember the Wildcats were sneaking in and Maul okay so yeah so Maul uh, Warblade Voodoo and Spartan are going there and the alarm goes off and they can't figure out why because they find out that there's a mole in their group which turns out to be the Vice President Dan Quayle yeah. who has a Daemonite in him and Youngblood comes rushing in to battle because they're 
I guess, you know, the security force. They're the U.S. government superhero, yeah. official sanctioned superhero team. And so, so it makes sense that Dan Quill would have access to them. And I believe... And by the way, I want to say, too, I remember when I was reading the initial issues, Youngblood showing up didn't do much for me because I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, they're, they're the only guys that are around for Image, to, you know, these guys to fight because Youngblood had just barely come out by that point. That's their I think, they, yeah. I think they only had like a couple or three issues by the time they were already guest starring, so it didn't matter to me because I didn't know those characters. But in retrospect, given how few times the various image creators concepts got to cross over especially as their relationship got rockier for me it was so cool to see the wildcat I mean, the young blood show up and fight the wildcats in this early story because i know we're not going to really get to see that ever again yeah and we're not going to get to see jim lee in his prime drawing the young blood characters i still think it was okay the actual story doesn't blow me away the actual interactions don't blow me away it's just so nice to see it actually get done though so the young bloods are fighting at which point none of them figure out whenever dan quill screaming and squealing like a little pig to say destroy them my mindless young blood atom- yeah, minions like, yeah. yeah minions he's I mean well, he's coming point, off as a villain well no I mean it, to young blood's credit this is probably happening over a span of minutes if not seconds and pretty quickly Shaft's like wait what the fuck's going on here there's something amiss no 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 and that's when Dan Quill shoots young blood no, 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 uh, Shaft well, in the head well, no 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 they don't do that until Dan Quill puts the gun to Voodoo's head and he's about to blow her head off and Shaft says no we caught them we're good now we need to stop and he says you don't talk to me like that you do what I say you die for me and he shoots Shaft in the head and everybody raises him his skull he's yeah. actually even I don't think he even loses consciousness does he just no, a bunch he has a little blood and so that's when they're like hey something's going on here so it took a gunshot to the head before they realized maybe there's something wrong here and but then, again this is over a span of a few minutes and it was kind of cool that Youngblood decisively beats the Wildcats however it's not the point, whole team though they only yeah exactly it's true there's no way of figuring out how this is supposed to happen because the entire team's there one minute and the next minute like half the team disappears and, and is off on a side mission tracking the or well, no, well, no, it turns fun. out, no, it turns out the team had broken into two parts. The alarms went off, so Youngblood caught the team A, but B with Lord Imp, Void, Grifter, and what Zealot are team B. So they jump into the fight. By this time, Spartans had the shit kicked out of him. He's missing an arm. Yeah. Well, that, I don't think they made it clear in the earlier issues that he was an android. So it's kind of a big deal when they first reveal that he's getting ripped to pieces. Well, he talks okay. about how, like, his internal parts are repairing themselves. Right. And it's Spartan who ends up shorting out the machine that Hellspot needs to call in the Damonites. So it's really Spartan who saves the day because he shuts down the machine. He is the Howard the Duck of the story. But the thing is, it turns out that Gnome and his crew actually had set off the alarm because they were stealing the orb that Hellspot was using to power up his world engine. Right. Basically, Gnome the whole time was pitting everybody against each other so he could sweep in and grab the orb for himself. By doing that, it turns out Gnome was the character Void had seen in her dream that kills her. And he begins to blast Void with the orb once they confront him and Lord Imp decides to blow off his arm with a gun and the orb and his arm is falling down and he does the whole emperor leaps behind it trying to catch up to the orb right which is actually that exact moment happens at the end of the first Mark Waid arc on Captain America oh really the same, the same thing happens as Captain America chops off Red Skull's arm with his shield and then the cube falls down with the arm and Red Skull go chases after it so oh the exact my same god thing happens. they ripped it straight up Oof, that's bad that's I'm, really I'm, bad. I'm sure he, they didn't realize they were doing that oh but they didn't I'm sure thing. they did dude really you think Mark uh, Waid intentionally ripped off Wildcats uh, no 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 that's 
that's almost no. as as as, well, as uh, thin wait, wait, as me thinking that George R. first, Jim Lee and Brandon Choi. Those issues had to be those issues had to be floating in the offices. I yeah, I was about to say I doubt that Mark Wade intentionally is like I'm going to rip off that sequence from Wildcats, but I also have a trouble believing that Mark Wade didn't read Wildcats number three and four at the time because everybody was reading these image books at that time. Everybody was looking to see what these guys were up to. So so I'm sure he was like, yeah, that's kind of a cool idea. That's something different. I can do that with these characters. And actually, Wade might have still been an editor back then. He might have been just looking at the competition's work. So, yeah. I, I, but I don't think it's a conscious I, I can see it being thing. influential. Probably more of a subconscious thing that, like, you don't remember that well, happening. Also, but It's also Mark Wade, though. Come on. <laughs> well, Mark Wade's not particularly derivative. Yeah, not a huge fan of his work. Well, I like Mark Wade's stuff. So, I, don't, I don't think he would have intentionally ripped something off. He could have homaged, but I don't think he would homage Wildcats <laughs> in Captain America. So, I think it's probably one of those unintentional lifts. The orb falls. The world machine is stopped. The Wildcats win the day. And now a few more people realize that they're demons that can possess human bodies. That's how well, it does is, it right? become public knowledge after that? I don't, I don't well, think I mean, it's all covered up, isn't know, it? And the government knows now. Yeah, I think Youngblood is aware because of having first Dan experience. Because Qu- at one point, Dan Quill is like screaming, you know, stop in the name of the United States or some weird yeah. shit like that. There's no clear indication that anybody knew about the Daemonite threat before this point. And, and I still think it's covered up and probably like maybe IO and Youngblood know. Well, I, still, I don't think it's public knowledge. I still hate the fact that I think Maul has a call phrase like it's bashing time or it's I miss big. that. There's a panel where they're about to fight young bloods and he says something like it's big banging time or I remember reading that and I was thinking don't you mean it's clobbering time like you know just that's even worse than yabba dabba doom yeah oh, that's true but let's see where does four end revealing that Spartan survives that he just downloaded oh, his right. consciousness download- into yeah, a new body a hours. because Voodoo who is strangely attracted to this robot guy because they're clearly doing a Vision of Scarlet Witch thing between those two she's like why isn't anybody upset that Spartan died on this mission and it's like because he didn't die he's a robot he just downloaded his consciousness to another body so everybody's like ha 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 and then it freeze frames and the credits roll well don't forget that Lord Imp gives Void champagne and she goes I don't drink Lord Imp why are you giving me champagne and just this like, once babe. Yeah, trying to get in her pants <sighs> also I think it's worth noting Hellspot is the same alien race as Photon from the Youngblood he's I believe they're called Acurans yes he's the oh, same race as them and that's where he gets his exceptional powers because he possessed an Acuran he's like the only Daemonite to do so and as a byproduct of that Voodoo can't force Hellspont's Daemonite out of his body he's locked in there as long as he wants to be he is one of the most powerful beings among either the Cherubim or the Daemonites and it's also worth noting that if I recall correctly Grifter is full human well, but he has Zealot, powers he has powers because he, he has father. powers but they don't tell they don't tell yeah. you about that Zealot is full blood Cherubim Imp is full blood Cherubim Warblade is a half breed same Maul. with Maul but they're both Cherubim half breeds and I don't know if they revealed it in this miniseries yet or not but Voodoo's the only one who's a half Daemonite I don't think they do it in the series yeah well spoiler uh, I don't really want to get too much into the storyline because then you won't you know check out the comic book look for Wildcats in early August September and October and if the guys at Image approve it as a regular series you'll see it in early 93 take care Let's see, we got some Facebook attention from Joe Crawford, Derek William Crabb, Pat Sampson, Ali Bats, and Michelle Fife. Tumblr follows came from Lady Hawk Things and KG Bunk, which is Geechee Baker. And then we got some of that Twitter action from the 108th Sage, 20th Century Geek, Ali Bats, Beer Today Gone Tomorrow, Biko Django, Bones Cafe, 
Bots and Turtles, Cash Flag, Charlton Hero, Chris Sheehan, Cinnabud Podcast, Dirty Bit Podcast, Dolice, Ed Moore at Indie Comics Fan, Marvel Bronze Age, Miskatonic, Teal Productions, and Urban Fantasist, The Fan Holes Podcast, Goldmind LLC, Grateful Dalek, The Hammer Strikes, It's Plastic Man, Janice H. Rackley, Jeffrey Brown, Joe Crawford, Justice First Dawn, Kaiser Leo, The Man on the Wall, Michelle Fifay, Mike Radcliffe, Rachel Zucalis, Rad Adventures Podcast Network, Robot Boombox, Sean Phillips, Silver and Gold Podcast Network, Siskoid, Son of Cthulhu, Hashtag Tag Fan Art, Terrence Castanguay, Trekker Talk, Warlord Worlds, Wulan Ayu Paramita, and Yoart Tag Fan Art. Thank you all. Rad Adventures wrote, Time for the latest episode of Spawnometer from the gang at Rolled Spine. Justice First Dawn wrote, The debut of Prophet, I'm so in. We all scream and scream and scream for more Spawnometer. Kaiser Leo writes, Billy Kincaid, that dude was a real piece of work. Yeah, that issue was a bit iffy. I agree on your point that issue did help put Spawn into a more of a horror genre. Michelle Fife wrote, Good point regarding Faust. It isn't far off the mark from what I thought Spawn's origin drew from the most, the crow. Back from the dead and driven by his love for his lady, except Spawn is less explicitly revenge-driven and his wife is alive and well. Not only do I prefer Youngblood Number 1 is originally published, especially in Murray's great coloring, but I firmly believe that Youngblood Number 2, also in its original form, is the platonic ideal of an extreme comic. Uh, which, using platonic ideal and extreme in the same sentence is just... You're about to get franked. Yeah, no, Enjoy. it's just, there's just some cognitive dissonance there. When we were doing tweets, I was looking at the original and new pages of Youngblood. If they could process the Brian Murray art as well in reprint form as they did the new coloring, I think I would definitely prefer the Brian Murray stuff. But I do think overall the Murray stuff is much more inventive, uh, and I, I, I do gleam to it more. I just enjoy Liefeld with computer effects and the shininess and the brightness because the only version of the original Young Buck and Fine is in the Baxter paper and the color processing the printing of the colors just doesn't translate that well to that paper versus the glossy stock and digital forms that you can do with the more modern digital coloring but as far as the choices made by the colorist I do prefer Brian Murray stuff as well as far as the crow thing I definitely think that Spawn looks and acts a lot more like Faust there's just a lot more of Faust in Spawn I think that the crow may have informed Shadowhawk a lot more not necessarily in the premise but in the execution because I actually have a lot of trouble I, I, I'm a huge fan of the imagery of the crow before I'd ever got to read the crow comic there were, I got to see a lot of like images on and things like comic shop news and solicitations and pinups and stuff and I just loved James Albar's artwork I still love his artwork but when I try to read the actual crow comics both back then but especially now really fucking squiggy shit going on there with race because I don't I don't know if you how much you know about the origins of the crow but basically Jim O'Barr's girlfriend was killed by a drunk driver and so the crow was a way for him to process all the emotions he was feeling about her death in comic book form so he has it to where the girlfriend is instead raped and murdered by a bunch of black dudes and then he kills those black dudes over the course of the oh, yeah, miniseries and the depiction of the characters how they look how they act the way they talk and there's a guy who's from Detroit so you know there may have been some authenticity to that but it's very grindhouse and very uncomfortable in a modern context and everything it was always pretty uncomfortable for years I wanted to try to cover the original Crow comics every time I start to I can't not have like a scorched earth approach to the story itself and I, and I think that that un- discomfort is more parallel to the way Shadowhawk was handled but I want to touch on some Faust stuff later on if you get the chance you should probably try to read a little Faust too to see how you feel about it, it. yeah that was a hard one to find and then uh, Michael Wagner came in with a clarification I believe the 
Michelle Fife is Latino. Mr. Fixit, spelled phonetically. Uh, you remember we were having a little discussion about Michelle Fife in the last episode. Michelle Fife clarifies further French first name, Scottish surname, Cuban born, huzzah. And then oh, our buddy Mac comes in with, you got Michelled. Because remember we got franked? Oh, yeah. Because we, 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 we were trying to turn him into a French Canadian and he's actually Cuban. <laughs> I forget about that. Yes, being franked. Oye, como va, Paliqua? You know, I wouldn't go there. I got castroed. No, nah, I still like franked. <laughs> Franck was pretty funny. Yeah, it just has an oomph to it. But yeah, but I do love Michelle Fife's comments. He's a guy who's coming at it from a very intelligent and very knowledgeable place. I think he's actually maybe working on an Extreme Studios project currently because he keeps treating images of the young blood characters. Wildstorm Addiction Podcast. I'm Joe David Solis. I'm Ben Murphy. For those of you who have been listening here at the Comic Addiction, you've probably heard me on the Image Addiction Podcast with Chris Parton and Mike Smith doing some of their retro reviews. Tonight, we're going to be talking solely about Wildstorm. For those of you... um out there who have never heard uh, never heard Image Addiction or never been to the Wildstorm boards or seen any of us discussing or Ben and I both hail from the Wildstorm Resource Wiki if uh, some of you never been to that you can find that on Google just by typing it in it'll be the first thing that pops up but pretty much. we'll just uh, we'll take a, we'll take a few minutes to let you know a little bit about us I've been pretty much following Wildstorm since the beginning followed Jim Lee when he left Dexman followed a lot of image comics in the early days but uh, there was just something about the Wildstorm universe that just really really spoke to me so that the characters just really attached to me obviously Grifter you know I mean <laughs> for those of you who've seen my Twitter page and everything else you know Grifter just pasted here out there and all over the place you know obviously the Wildstorm universe has had its ups and downs over the years i've followed them during both i'm just glad that after 15 years dear god i can't believe it's been that long but (laughs) after 15 years worth of this company existing i'm just glad that i get to kind of share the love you know that i have for it out there i also have been with wildstorm throughout its tenure i started collecting when i was 12 my stepbrother had showed me a lot of the uncanny x-men that jim lee was doing and at that time i was not into comics at all and i said hey what should i pick up and he mentioned that this artist that i really enjoyed and i did a lot of copying of he told me that he was starting his own comic book company so i kind of jumped on board right there with wildcats number one i've been hooked ever since if you want to contact us and ask us about anything that we talked about on the show tonight, uh, you can catch me on Twitter at Grifter78. And uh, be sure to visit us at the Wildstorm Resource Wiki, where you can find both Ben and I. Ben, you want to tell them how they can get a hold of you? You can find me on the Wildstorm Resource Wiki. I'll be Yo-Yo Master in some form or another. And you can also hit me up on the Wildstorm Forum. Anyway, thank you all for listening, and uh, hopefully we'll get to do another one of these and, uh, See y'all later.
This is a fan-produced, not-for-profit podcast. No copyright infringement is intended for any use of copyrighted materials believed to be covered under fair use. If you don't agree, you can go straight to hell! Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do.